The history. Tell me what you saw. The people. Hey, neighbor. The legends. I bring good news. The actions. If you build it, he will come. The vision and evolution of Southern California's desert cities. Boy, I got vision and the rest of the world wears bifocals. From mid-century. We're halfway there. To modern day. I'm building something. These are the stories of how the greater Palm Springs region has become America's playground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do this. iHub Radio presents Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Coachella Valley Chronicles. I am Randy Florence. As you know from listening each week on the show, we're going to be exploring the valley by talking to the people who helped build the desert and witnessed its tremendous growth. Putting this show together has been so much fun for me because history and specifically the history of the Coachella Valley are passions of mine. So each week, in addition to our guest interviews, I'll try to share a little history about parts of the valley you might find interesting. Today I want to focus on a very special spot in the Cove and La Quinta, the La Quinta Hotel and Resort. For this episode, I looked at some articles written by the La Quinta Historical Society. In 1921, Walter Morgan of the Morgan Oyster Company fame, apparently there were famous oyster companies in the 20s, came here for health reasons. He purchased 1,400 acres in what became the La Quinta Cove. In 1925, Morgan hired Pasadena architect Gordon Kaufman to help him turn his dream into a reality. Together, they built the original 20 casitas, which were all named alphabetically for saints. The resort was open to Morgan's friends during Christmas of 1926 and opened to the public the next month in January of 27. The hotel continued even after Morgan's death. However, in 1942, it was forced to close during World War II and the hotel was requisitioned by the Army. Rumor has it that it housed some of General Patton's armies. Our guests may be able to tell us that. The hotel reopened in 1945 and immediately became a hangout for celebrities of all sorts. Politicians, singers, actors, sports stars all frequented the hotel and the resort. With the, resi- with the rise in golf popularity, the hotel owners began developing the golf courses, expanded the tennis facilities, and added casitas and suites to bring over 200 rooms to the site. They then renamed it the La Quinta Resort and Club. Our first guest today has many of the inside stories about the La Quinta Resort, as well as many others about the Valley. Judy Bossler has had a 40-year career in hospitality and tourism, including her 13 years as manager of the La Quinta Hotel. She also managed the Skins Golf Game, the Betty Ford Pro-Am, the Frank Sinatra Celebrity Golf Tournament, and the Giddings Cup, a national amateur event. She also wrapped up her career with the Greater Palm Springs Convention and Visitors Bureau, which she had been active in since the early 80s. I need to take a breath now. I am very excited to introduce this week to the Chronicles, Judy Bossler. Judy, thank you for joining me. Hi, Randy. So good to talk to you. And you did a great job on La Quinta's history. Well, thank you. I, I don't think anybody understands the history more than you do, so I hope I got all of that stuff right. You got it right. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. And there's nothing I love to talk about more 
than La Quinta Hotel and La Quinta in general. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I know we're going to get to a lot of stories. And just before we get there, Judy, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what brought you to the desert. I know your dad, Ernie, was a PGA golfer. Yes, my father, Ernie Vossler, played on the PGA Tour in the 1950s and early 60s. So he was aware of the beauty of the desert, and he and my mother moved here. And one by one, my four brothers and I migrated here. I started coming in 1972 and would spend, oh, half of the year here with my darling daughter, Lisa. And in 1980, Lisa and I moved here, and I went to work at La Quinta Hotel, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that history in just a moment. I was doing a little research, and I saw that your dad, Ernie, actually won three tournaments on the PGA Tour, right? I think he actually won five. But, you know, that was before golf and um, all of that was on TV. So, um, but we had a great time. Dad played in the uh, early years with Arnold Palmer and Don January and all of the early names, the ones that built the senior tour. And we had a great time. My brothers and I got to travel with them and golf was our life. Mm. Judy, you also told me, and I know we talked about this, that a lot of the, you didn't tell me, but I uh, came up with it myself, that your family is a group of overachievers. Um, <laughs> you had an interesting ranking among the siblings, didn't you? Yes, I'm the first and the only girl. I'm the bossy big sister. <laughs> we um, were in our early years, raised in Fort Worth, Texas, which is where Dad started his PGA Tour career. And I can remember going to the driving range and Ben Hogan would be there or mm. Byron, Nelson, Byron Nelson would be there. So we had a great time. And then we moved to Oklahoma City. I went to Oklahoma State University and we loved Oklahoma, but the weather in Palm Springs was much better. No doubt about that. Uh, we have uh, so many other things that we could talk about, Judy, but in our conversations over the past week, I think we both understood that you've got so many stories about the La Quinta Resort. I don't want to get too much off of that topic. So talk to me a little bit about when you first came back uh, to the desert and, and took over as manager. Well, first, I want to say when I started coming here in 1972, La Quinta Hotel was so far out in the country. Parts of Highway 111 were only two lanes, and Washington Street and Eisenhower Street weren't very well developed. And driving up the tree line drive at La Quinta Hotel was a real treat. And in that era, they had live peacocks roaming around oh. the grounds. So when I came back in 1980 and went to work at the hotel, the hotel had about 76 rooms. They had the original 50 that were in 20 casitas, and then they had added uh, some pods that had about 18 rooms, and the rest of it was just raw desert around the hotel, and Landmark was just starting to build the golf course. The mountain course was the first one to open in 1981. So 
we were really out in the country. Over time, the hotel developed. Santa Rosa Cove, the housing addition south of the hotel developed. And um, in those years, mid-1980s, Landmark was acquiring the land that became PGA West. And pretty soon, La Quinta Hotel was just on the way to PGA West. So I've been blessed and privileged to see a lot of growth. While I was at the hotel, I went from 76 rooms to 640 rooms. So we had uh, 1,200 employees, and, you know, La Quinta is still famous for its blue shutters that are supposed to keep out the evil spirits, Mm. and its famous peanut butter pie, (laughs) and its um, history of celebrity guests. Well, Judy, I, I, I'm fascinated by the construction and everything else, but I, I suspect, and I know my wife's listening too, and she's going to be a lot more interested in the stories. So uh, I, I want to get into, as, as the manager of the La Quinta Resort, tele, or the La Quinta Hotel at the time, what was a typical day for you, and when did you start to notice that your guests were not uh, the normal population? Well, Akinta had a celebrity history before I ever got there to address the normal day. <laughs> I got to the hotel around 7 o'clock in the morning, and I went home 8 to 9 o'clock in the evening with breaks in between because I was raising a 10 to 18-year-old daughter, mm. and I was so lucky that I lived next door to my grandparents So Lisa always had a family structure. My mother was a mile away. My brothers were around. So um, typical day was just hotel management. And in fact, my phone rang (laughs) 24-7. But that was great. Well, you said it was typical um, hotel management, but it wasn't a typical hotel. It was not a typical hotel, and it did have a celebrity reputation. And I think a lot of that started with Frank Capra. He mm. was a, for those who maybe don't know that name, he was a product, producer, director, and writer during the golden age of Hollywood. And some of his favorite famous movies were It's a Wonderful Life, It Happened One Night, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and Lost Horizon. He came to the hotel in the 1930s to escape Hollywood. And he pinned and worked on some of his movies at La Quinta. And then, as you said, the hotel closed during the war, and it reopened in the late 40s, and the Capras returned. And in the 50s, La Quinta Country Club was built across the street from the hotel, and it was built originally as part of the hotel. And the Capras retired to La Quinta Country Club. In 1980, just as I was getting to the hotel, Mr. Capra wanted to have a meeting with my father, and he wanted to move into the hotel permanently, which for him was a great idea because the desert didn't really have high-end assisted living places. Hmm. So the, the Capras moved into the hotel. They took one of the cottages that had 
three bedrooms, two bathrooms. We were able to make them a little serving kind of area. So they had full room service. They had our buffet meals, and they just moved right in. And probably about a year after they had been there, um, one morning Mr. Capper walked in my office, and he was a short little man, just cute as could be, had the best sense of humor, and his wife Lucille was a little doll. And he walked in my office and he said, Miss Judy, I want a job. <laughs> and I said, oh, my goodness, Mr. Kepper, you want a job? What do you want to do? He said, I want to come up every morning at 10 o'clock and sit on the front porch and greet the guest. Wow. And I thought, oh, this is too much. <laughs> so he told me he wanted to show up at 10 in the morning, and he'd be there until 1130 when he had to go to lunch, and he would greet all the guests. And he did that for a full season. Now, can you imagine arriving at a hotel and someone like Steven Spielberg is sitting there (laughs) to greet you? No, I cannot. Mr. Capra was wonderful, and he loved to roam around the property and take photos and talk to the guests and tell great stories. So That's awesome. Well, listen, for, if you're listening to this right now, you just heard about Frank Capra. And this is a very, very small part of what you're going to hear from Judy in the next segment. We will be back with the Coachella Valley Chronicles and Randy Florence on iHub Radio. Let's just call it what it is. Coachella Valley Chronicles continues on iHub Radio. You are the story. Here's Randy Florence. Welcome back to the Coachella Valley Chronicles. I am here with my guest, Judy Bossler. When uh, we finished up the first segment, Judy was telling us a story about Frank Capra. Uh, Judy, question, when I go into the... uh, resort during the holidays now you drive up to the front and the first thing you see is that just amazing christmas tree up there uh but one of the other things that i noticed this last year for the first time was the sign saying welcome to bedford falls did you have anything to do with that no that came (laughs) after me but i think it's a wonderful idea and i think it happened the year that Frank Capra III, I called him Frankie when he was a kid, but Mr. Capra's granddaughter, grandson, Frank, came one year to light the Christmas tree. And so that's when I think it happened. And as we were talking earlier, because Frank Capra did start coming to the hotel in the 30s, many celebrities followed him there or came to meet with him there. And that's a large part of what started the following. And I can't really go on unless I mention my favorite celebrity who came to the hotel and one of my favorite people in life, and that's Robert Wagner. 
It's all yours, Judy. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) RJ started coming to the hotel. He told me when he was seven years old, his parents brought him um, for a vacation, and he sent me a picture after he told me that story of him riding a horse across the desert, and I think it is still posted in the lobby or the hallway at the hotel. Mm. But Robert Wagner is a Prince Charming, and... (laughs) The Heart to Heart pilot and the Return to Heart to Heart pilot were both done in the La Quinta area. So RJ spent a lot of time at the hotel. And as a side note, he and my father started playing in pro-ams together in 1953. So he's been a friend of the family for years. And in fact, he called me this week just to check in, and we had a great visit. He's 90 years old now, sharp as a tack, and um, just my favorite. And he was so great to spend a lot of time around the hotel. Well, and he's still so, married to Jill St. John, correct? He he is, and they're both doing well, healthy, happy, and it was great to hear from him. So I will roll in from my favorite celebrity to my favorite story to tell, and that's my Candace Bergen story. And it's interesting, when I do little things with La Quinta Historical Society, people will come up to me and say, are you going to tell your Candace Bergen (laughs) story? So, yes, I am. In the early, oh, I would say 1990s, when Candace Bergen was Murphy Brown. You mm, rem- I remember that well. You remember Murphy Brown. She was also the spokesperson for Sprint, and Sprint was one of the major advertisers of the show. So Sprint was having a big conference at La Quinta Hotel. Candace Bergen came to be their keynote speaker, and I always kept the door to my office open. My office was right off the lobby. I was nosy and curious and <laughs> always wanted to hear everything going on at the front desk. And I heard Candace Bergen's voice say, is there anyone who's been here a long time? Well, I hadn't been there a long time, but I'd heard that question often. So I got up, went out, introduced myself. She told me that she used to come to La Quinta Hotel as a child, that her father, Edgar Bergen, owned apricot orchards that were on Jefferson Street, which had to be on the way to PGA West. But she told me that the hotel had changed enough that she was having trouble finding the cottage they used to stay in. And I said, okay, so we walked over to the front door, and I said, from this front door, do you think you could play like you're a 10-year-old child and walk to that room? And she said, well, I tried that, but it didn't work. And I said, okay, trust me. (laughs) Close your eyes and put your arm in my arm and start off like you're going to the room. And I knew how to guide her around the buildings that we had built. So there I am, arm in arm, with Candace Bergen, with her eyes closed, and we're walking, and I would tell her, turn right, and pretty soon we got to the building where I thought she was going, 
And I said, okay, you can open your eyes now. And she opened her eyes and burst out crying. It was the right room, the right cottage. And she was so thrilled. So I left her there with her memories and, um, She was just a happy lady. What an amazing story, Judy. We will be back uh, with the Coachella Valley Chronicles and my guest, Judy Bossler, here on iHub Radio. Gene Autry Trail to the Empire Polo Grounds. Have you seen it? Like desert sands through an hourglass. With great power comes great responsibility. These are the Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence on iHub Radio. Cool. Here's Randy. We are back with the Coachella Valley Chronicles and my guest, Judy Bossler. Judy, um, you had just finished telling us some wonderful stories about Robert Wagner and Candace Bergen, and I think you were about to lead us into one of my favorite celebrities of all time, Elizabeth Taylor. Can you tell us that story? Oh, I would love to tell you that story. One day, the little gal who worked in the gift shop came in my office, and she said, there's a lady in the gift shop who looks just like Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) Well, I knew Elizabeth Taylor was in the desert because it had been all over the news that she'd been in the Betty Ford Center. So I went in, and in fact, it was Elizabeth Taylor. She was a little shorter than I expected. She was gorgeous, and she really did have lavender blue eyes. And I introduced myself, and she was very open about telling me that she'd been in the Betty Ford Center, and one of the things they told her was that she had to replace her old bad habits with new habits. So she had decided, instead of her drinking hour, she would have afternoon tea. And she had asked around and been told that La Quinta Hotel had the nicest afternoon tea, so she had come to check it out. So I took her into the tea room, which was the large Santa Rosa room. It's now where the front desk is, and introduced her to the tea hostess. And she turned and looked at me and said, this is beautiful. I will be here every day for six weeks. So every day for six weeks, when she was in her outpatient program, a big limousine would pull out and Elizabeth Taylor would step out and she would grace our lobby and tea room. And often she had an entourage and she made herself at home and we loved her. That's amazing. You, you 
there's so many celebrities there. And I mean, I think the obvious, we know the obvious reasons why they like to be there. But what was it like for them on site, Judy? Did they feel like they could move around pretty freely without being hammered by people taking pictures and such even back then? Well, you know, it was before we had cell phone cameras, so that was <laughs> a good thing. And La Quinta Hotel is all cottage style, so there's no common hallway. So they could go out and wander the grounds and enjoy privacy. And then we had a rule with our employees that they were not to do anything like ask for an autograph or do any gawking or so our celebrities just made themselves at home. Mm. And I, I think um, one of the things that helped our celebrity list is in the early years of the McCallum Theater, our landmark La Quinta Hotel donation to the McCallum Theater was uh, complimentary rooms for their celebrities. So we had a large list of celebrities that came through the McCallum Theater, and our employees just knew it was great service, but hands off. <laughs> Judy, speaking of the of the free rooms, um, I'm reminded of a story. I think I remember you telling me uh, potentially about the first conversation you had with Robert Wagner um, <laughs> about a promotion that you were trying to get him to do at the resort. Yes, this was the late 1980s when everyone was doing promotional videos. So my father, who ran the company, said to me, who would you like to have? And I said, well, either Robert Wagner, because I knew he had done Heart to Heart there, and I knew he and Dad were friends, or James Garner, who was also <laughs> a friend of my dad's through golf. And I said, but I really would like to have Robert Wagner. And Dad said, we'll go get him. Like, that's an easy thing. <laughs> so I called up the William Morris Agency and asked if they represented RJ, and they said, yes, they did. And they put me in touch with his agent. And I told the agent, I was so naive at the time. I told <laughs> the agent, I would like for Robert Wagner to do our promotional video. And in return, we would give him free rooms and food for himself and his family for the duration of landmark and the agent laughed at me and he was like are you kidding that would cause him such a tax problem he's not gonna do that so we hung up nicely and got off the phone and um, a few days later the phone rang and i answered and this is what started the thing that goes on to this day hello judy hello judy hello judy <laughs> Well, I knew right off the bat it was Robert Wagner, and he said, I understand you've offered a deal to my agent. I'm going to be in your area in a couple of weeks. At that time, he was playing in the senior golf event that was at the Vintage Country Club, and he said, I'll come by and see you. So I had, of course, all the girls on pins and needles oh. the day Robert Wagner was to arrive. And right on time, uh, a couple of hours before his tea time, he walked into my office and greeted me and reminded me that he and my dad had been playing golf since the 1950s, and we made a great deal, and RJ and Jill St. John and RJ's three daughters were at the hotel a lot 
through the late 1980s, early 1990s. Amazing. And and you're still in conversation with him today. That's great. Yes. He and my dad, my dad's now been gone five years, but he and RJ probably talked every week until my dad died. And uh, RJ and I keep in touch. So that's a great thing, actually, for both of us. That's a really good thing. I love that story. And I'm I'm sure my wife is writing down your number right now to call and get all the <laughs> RJ stories she possibly can. Um, listen, no, I don't, I don't want to stop you, and I don't know what order you're going to go in here, Judy, but just keep going. Who's your next story well, I'm about? Gonna, I'm going <laughs> to throw one in that you and I did not discuss previously, and that's Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. Oh, my. And, yeah, Johnny Cash was the man in black, yep. and he was just the nicest man. So um, probably about the 19... 19- 90, somewhere right in there, he was having a real problem with a jaw thing that he had wrestled with for years, um, implant problem in his jaw that was causing him all kinds of problems. So he needed to be at Loma Linda every day, weekday, for six weeks. So his friend, Larry Gatlin, who's like one of my other brothers, we all the grew Gatlin up brothers? golf to the Gatlin brothers, oh, all my. three of them. <laughs> we all grew up in golf together in Texas. So, and the Gatlins were around La Quinta a lot. So Larry Gatlin told Johnny Cash to call Judy and make arrangements to come to La Quinta Hotel and he could play great golf. So we did have, and still this exists, it's called the El Presidente It was a full house with three or four bedrooms. So Johnny and June Carter Cash came, and they stayed with us for six weeks. And we took care of all of Johnny's special food needs because with his uh, dental thing going on, he had to have soft foods. And every day, the limousine would pull up, and Johnny would get in it, and off he'd go to Loma Linda, and he'd come back. And, of course, his doctor's appointments were all arranged around his tea time. <laughs> and for his tea times, he always had very interesting people coming to play golf with him. And we loved having the caches with us. And probably about three years ago, I was in three years after that happened, I was in some big airport, Dallas, Chicago, somewhere. And I saw the caches at the ticket counter. And as I started to approach them, they both turned around and gave me the biggest hug. They actually remembered me. I was shocked. What a great story. uh, They traveled a lot with a very large family. Did that large family ever end up at the resort? Yes. They, um, the son, um, was around a lot because he was kind of the manager for Johnny and June. So, um, yes, family was around, friends were around because, you know, for a celebrity to be in one place for six weeks is a rare thing. Mm -hmm. So yes, the entourage came and went, um, just like Frank Capra's entourage came and went, One day I looked up, um, normally Frank Kepper would tell me who's coming and what time they were coming so I could assure whoever it was to his suite. 
and he was um, very connected to the film school in Los Angeles. So he had lots of guests. But one day he didn't tell me who his guest was, and I came around the corner of the patio where they used to serve Sunday brunch and the peanut butter pie, <laughs> and there sat Betty Davis. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> And, you know, you would look at someone like that and do a double take. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's hard to believe Betty it's real. Davis really sitting. <laughs> yeah. And another of my cute stories, and, you know, I would get these through the employees. I guess they weren't quite sure what the, what they were seeing. And one day one of the employees came to my office and said, there's a man with a face mask riding his bicycle around the property. And I said, a face mask, and today, that would not be abnormal for us. <laughs> That's right. But at the time, someone with a face mask riding a bicycle around the property was not normal. So I knew the area of the hotel where that was happening, and I went out, and I knew in advance who it was going to be, because I knew who was in our hotel. And for sure, there it was. Michael Jackson. And this was in the era of when he wore the glove on the left hand and he wore the face mask that just barely under his hat, his eyes showed. um, So he was covering up from the sun, but he was getting his exercise. Michael Jackson and his entourage stayed with us while they made a video out at the Salton Sea. And he also was a great guest, but he had some things like he needed all of his vegetables steamed in Evian water. And I never could really figure out what that was about, because once you start steaming the water, all the good stuff goes out of it. But But if he wanted wanted if he wanted steamed veggies, that's what he got. That's what he got. But then he'd turn around and order fried chicken. So <laughs> I don't know that it was really a health thing, but that's what he would do. Well, so, at some um, other point down the road, I bet we could make a whole show just out of the menus and stuff from the different celebrities at the resort. <laughs> Judy, uh, when we come yeah. back, I, I know you have a couple of other stories that, that you want to tell. Um, and uh, I want to finish up with a little bit of your history here in the Valley, too. Judy Bossler is the guest of the Coachella Valley Chronicles. We are here on iHub Radio. And the where. This is Coachella Valley Chronicles with Randy Florence. The 411 on the events, the personalities, and the history that have built an oasis in the desert. Here's Randy. Welcome back to the Coachella Valley Chronicles. We are here with my guest, Judy Bossler. Judy, I don't have anything to ask you other than tell me your next story, please. 
<laughs> well, let's talk about Johnny Carson. Oh, please. Um, hi yeah, You know, and in the years that I was at La Quinta Resort, it really grew from La Quinta Hotel to La Quinta Resort with the great golf and the great tennis. So that brought the best of golf and tennis professionals, and that caused the amateurs to follow. And Johnny Carson was an avid tennis player. And back in the 80s, we had a tennis pro named Jackie Cooper, who was a great player. He was a pro. He was a teaching pro. And Johnny Carson had heard about him and wanted to come take lessons for Jackie (laughs) from Jackie's So Johnny Carson and his famous or infamous, whichever way you want to see it, (laughs) attorney Henry Bushkin uh, used to show up. And, you know, you asked me a while ago, how was it for the celebrities? And we just so much protected their privacy and their time that they were free to sit on the patios and play tennis and Johnny Carson was great, and he'd go have dinner in our dining room, and he just acted like a normal person. Mm. So great to have Johnny Carson around. Um, When we opened one of our ballrooms, we decided to do a fundraiser for the Betty Ford Center, and we were going to roast President Ford, if you can imagine. (laughs) You were going to roast President Ford. (laughs) Yes, and we did. So as a fundraiser, so um, all the friends and donors of the Betty Ford Center came, and the Betty Ford Center was not very old at that time. So um, in my naivete, I called Clint Eastwood and asked him if he would come MC the event, and he said yes, and I was so excited. Um, we had a raised stage, and we had Clint Eastwood and some other notables, and the evening was going along, and I was the MC of the evening, <laughs> and at one point, Clint Eastwood looked at me, and he said, are you going to introduce President Ford or not? <laughs> and I had forgotten the president. Oh, my. So uh, it became, you know, all the people in the front part of the room could tell that something funny had happened. So I guess that was the beginning of the roast is that the MC forgot to introduce the guest of honor. Well, that's right. That's just part of the roast, right? We just forget to introduce (laughs) the guest of honor. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll get back to the Fords in a minute because um, I just want to make some comments about some other people that were big stars and just normal, down-to-earth people. And one, God bless her, was Farrah Fawcett. Mm. She made a movie at the hotel, and she was a delight to have around. And Harrison Ford was unassuming and just hung out at the swimming pool, and the guests loved to see him around. And one of the nicest guests we ever had was Gene Hackman. And I would say maybe the cutest one we ever had was Don Johnson, who was with us a lot. (laughs) Cuter than RJ? um, um, In his own way. And actually, (laughs) actually they came together. So, um, yeah, that was. So there was a lot of good looking at the resort all at one time. 
there was <laughs> Don and Melanie, his wife, Melanie Griffith Johnson, and Jill St. John and RJ would all show up for golf. It was always about golf or tennis. Um, Allie McGraw was another great guest, very famous at the time that she was there. And um, one day I was walking through the lobby and Sylvester Stallone was sitting in a chair waiting to talk to me. And I thought, okay, I really arrived now. Stallone is waiting to talk to me. And he just really wanted something like an extra room or something we were happy to accommodate. And Tom Hanks came to the hotel. Mm. That was a big thrill for everyone. And in those days, I would say it was more about who didn't come to La Quinta Hotel than who did. They were all there, mm. and it was a great time to be there. Um, although I must say, after my years at the hotel, the next years became even more interesting because I ran the Betty Ford Golf Tournament and got to work hand-in-hand hand with President and Mrs. Ford and such a nice, sophisticated, elegant couple. They were just the best. I can't say enough good about them. And the purpose of their golf tournament was wonderful. And shortly after that, I started running the Barbara Sinatra golf tournament and worked hand-in-hand -hand with Mrs. Sinatra. And that also was really interesting because her life was about celebrity so that was a lot of fun. Mm. And then um, my golf tournament management career actually started with the Skins game at Landmark Golf Club. We had had the Skins game for many years at um, PGA West, and it moved around a bit. And then we had it at Landmark Golf Club uh, in the early years. And I was managing the tournament the year that Greg Norman won the whole million dollars. I remember that. That was one of the first times <laughs> I ever watched it. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was really great. So um, I've been blessed with a wonderful career. And I think the thing that I have not mentioned enough is my real crowning achievement and claim to fame is that I am the mother of Lisa <laughs> Vonsler-Smith. Yes, you are. And Lisa, Lisa, as you know, runs this um, modernism, and that's coming up. It's going to be digital this year, but modernism's coming. And I have the world's best son-in-law, Philip K. Smith III, who is an internationally recognized um sculpture, light artist, and does big pieces of public art. So as much as I've had a great career, raising my daughter has been truly the love of my life. And to watch her and Philip and their careers take off is just a blessing. Judy, thank you so much. Once again, um, we're probably going to have to do a second part because I didn't get into half of my cards. What an amazing interview. Thank you so much for all of the stories. I can't hear, wait to hear more about your daughter, too. I know she's an overachiever, just like her mom is. Judy, thank you so much. You have been listening to the Coachella Valley Chronicles on iHub Radio. This is Randy Florence.